If you will this morning, go with me to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is where we'll find ourselves. And uh, there's really a host of passages that that we could go to this morning uh, to cover the topic at, at hand. But Psalm 2 seems to be on my heart and has been for a few weeks now. And so I would like to share with you what we're going to find in Psalm 2. Now, I've told you before, Psalm 1 is sort of my favorite psalm. But Psalm 2 is sort of a second runner-up to that favorite one. Uh, It is still an introductory psalm. So when you're reading the book of Psalms, it is a psalm meant to introduce the book of Psalms. And it is a very powerful psalm. It's a messianic psalm. Uh, And you'll hear those words coming out as we read. So notice here in Psalm 2 what is said. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel." Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Your Word is powerful, yet cuts to the very heart of the matter. It cuts down to our very soul. And so may Your Word do just that in this service of worship today, we pray in Your name. Amen. Have you ever had someone tell you something that you really didn't want to know, but once you knew it, you couldn't get out of it? or it became a liability to you, or it became a responsibility for you. You ever had this happen? Somebody, somebody tells you something, you're like, oh, no, 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 please. And you just didn't want to hear that. But now that you've heard it, you can't unknow it. That is a term, by the way. You cannot unlearn it. You ever had this happen? I hate it when that happens because then that means I'm obligated to do something or obligated to say something. It's the sort of thing that happens sometimes in marriage or in dating maybe where all of a sudden your girlfriend or your wife comes to you and says, hey, this guy's been kind of messing with me. And you're like, ah, yeah, he's, he's all right. He's, he's a pretty good guy. You know? Well, you know, the other day he, he kind of touched me inappropriately. And then that means you've got to go deal with it. I mean, you can't just sit by while this sort of thing happens. Or maybe it's the kind of thing at your school with your children, all of a sudden, you know, well, maybe it's the teacher, maybe it's not, but now we're going to have to have a teacher conference. 
and you don't want to do this, but now it has to be done. It's these kinds of things that hit us sometimes. And what struck me recently with things that have transpired <laughs> since I was out of the country, the whole thing went to pot, seems like. No, but uh, I get back and it's like, welcome to America, you know, 4th of July. And yet there's things that I'm hearing that I don't really want to hear. There's things that now that I've heard them, I'm responsible for them. And I cannot unknow them or unlearn them. They must be addressed. And yet we can bemoan, we can wish this wasn't our fight, we can whine about it, but history doesn't hear those people that whine. It forgets those people. They're never heard of. They're looked at as weak in the pages of history, but rather we must address our time. We can wish for a different day, but trust me, that day had their struggles. Each generation has its points of conflict. Each generation has its problems. We are not the first. We will not be the last generation. And so, as the church universal looks on to the American church, what will be our response? This is what we've talked about last week. This is what we will continue to talk about um, in the weeks to come. What should be our response? What is a proper biblical response? You remember last week I shared with you that I was standing in Bangarapet, India, while two Indian leaders from across India and a Japanese Christian leader ask me point blank, what is the church's response to the Supreme Court's ruling? That's quite a question to be asked. Especially when it's 11 o'clock at night and I've had a full day. But yet, it is a real question asked by real Christians in another country that know that it's going to come their way because it's come through America. In other words, it hits America first, then it goes elsewhere. And it's going to ripple its effects across the world. Do not doubt that. It will happen. So, you know, each generation has its things that it must conquer. Um, and so there's, there's really just three things I want to say, kind of bouncing off Psalm 2 here. As we read it, I hope you noticed the, the power in these words. He said, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain against the Lord? Now, it's not against just God, but notice he's already getting Trinitarian right here in the Psalms. It's against Yahweh and His anointed. Now, who is the anointed one? Well, Jesus is His personal name. Christ is the title that means anointed one. So, this really is looking toward the Christ, even if it was written by David, even though he doesn't know Jesus, and yet is prophesying in this way. Notice what they say in verse 3. Let us burst their bonds, and break their cords. In other words, the world, because there is a God that is the Creator of all things, because of that very fact, they feel constrained by His restraints. And so, in our world, God has created us a certain way. This male and female, He created them in the image of God, after His likeness. And here... The psalmist, David, is reaffirming this and saying, look, they want to actually burst those bonds, break those cords against the Lord and His anointed. So, again, 
And then he says, look, what is God's response? Is his response say, oh man, I made these people and now they don't want me. They want to go a different way. They're voting differently. They're seeking a different way. I'm worried. No, that's not his response at all. It's actually sort of comical. Literally. Look at it. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. So I don't think it's a, a true comedy laugh. I think it's more of a ha 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 Or maybe this. Uh, sometimes we'll be in a store and one of my children, normally this very small one, Ty, will come up and he wants something. And in order for me to try, for him to try to get me to get him what he wants, he pushes on my leg. Now, I don't know. He's probably, what, 18 pounds, maybe, if he's wet. I'm 200 pounds. Do you think him pushing on my leg is going to really force me to, to buy or do whatever he wants me to No, I mean, it's, it's really quite laughable. I mean, he's, eh, I mean, he's pushing with all his might. Eh, eh. I'm like, well, what? Uh, oh, oh, what, what's going on? What do you want? No, it's, it's laughable. This is the picture here. The nation's rage, the people's plot in vain. If you notice the terminology here, they actually set themselves up as kings. Notice. God then in turn actually sets His king, His anointed one, on His holy hill. So they set themselves up as powerful. And we've seen this sort of power play in politics all of our life. And we will continue to see it. It's been the name of the game. That's basically what politics is, is a power play. Um, And it will always turn into that. And so we have philosophers that have warned us that against pure power. And we have, we have Lord Acton back in the day who says power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is true and we've seen it true in human history and it's no less true here in this psalm. And so God laughs at this. It's, it's nothing to Him. And then He actually speaks to them and He sets up His King on His holy hill. So here's the first thing to note in our situation. In our time, if we're going to respond as the church, and as I said last week, there's no need to panic. There's no need to get angry. Um, there's no need to, to you know, go do something crazy. Um, instead, here's something to understand, and that is we are at war. It's just a very simple, simple thing. We are at war. Now, it doesn't always look like it, does it? You know, we, we're dressed up nicely. As I'm telling you, we're at war. i got a smile on my face. Ding! You know... Uh, and you say, why, 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 would you, why can you smile as you say we are at war? I don't mean in Afghanistan. I don't mean in Iraq. I don't mean a physical battle at all. I mean there is a spiritual war. The reason I can smile is because I kind of know the end. Amen. And I know that it was going on before I was born. It will happen even after I was born until the Lord Himself, the King of Kings, decides to end it and call it a day. And at that point, if you're holding the enemy's weapon, it's not going to be good. When the Calvary comes in, you don't want to be holding the enemy's weapon. So, we are at war. And this is something we must understand. If we don't understand that, we're not going to know how to proceed in the days to come. So, this is nothing new. And this is what I said last week to you, and I want to reaffirm it. This is nothing new what's going on. This war on marriage did not happen just two weeks ago. This has been happening in our country. So, it's not just uh, a same-sex issue. It actually started when we were promiscuous with any kind of sex outside of the union between man and woman in holy matrimony um, in Christian marriage. So anything that erodes that, anything that is outside of that, actually undermines marriage 
just the same way as the Supreme Court decided to do the other day. One of the differences, however, is things like adultery, uh, things like sex before marriage. These things, uh, people normally when they do them, they don't hold parades prideful of them. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's not really meant to be a joke, but it, but it shows a true important point. And that is, we are dealing with a little something more militaristic uh, in, its, in its attack on marriage, but it's the same old scheme. It's the same old thing. Anything that is not between a male and a female in union together uh, is outside of God's plan. And so, you know, this, this, this attack on marriage has... I mean, we just read it today, did we not? It cost John the Baptist his head. Did you notice that his head got, gets lopped off? He's beheaded, not because he's preaching some radical doctrine. It's because he tells Herod, hey... You're doing something wrong in your marriage. And they don't like that. The state wants to define marriage. That's not a new thing. (laughs) They've been doing that for years. And so the question becomes one of who defines marriage? Is it the state or is it God? It really boils down to that. I don't like to be simplistic always, but sometimes simplistic is all you have. And it really boils down to who are you going to trust? A majority vote or the Creator of all things? It really is that simple. And it's become complicated. We have allowed it to become complicated because then we look at our own lives and our sexual promiscuity and we're unable to speak out against any other kind of sexual promiscuity because we do not feel uh, worthy. And it's a problem. This is why I again said this is not what just happened is not the main issue. The main issue is marriage in general. Um, not it's been under attack for quite some time. So we are at war. I don't. I don't have to belabor the point and waste your time this morning telling you that we are at war. No one in America would really say things are going well on any side of the aisle. Not on the racist stuff. Not on the gender stuff. No one's happy. Everybody understands that there's something wrong and something that needs to be fixed. Now, where we all disagree is on how that needs to be fixed. <laughs> um, so, we are at war. And this is, this is the first lesson that we must learn and must take to heart this morning. Is we must live in reality. And it's okay to live in reality. It's okay to understand that we are on a battlefield. If you've had your head in, a, in, the, in the sand for some time, you, you know, welcome back. Um, if you've been on the moon, welcome back because, because we need your help. Like this is, a, this is a war zone. And it's been a war zone and some have been asleep at the wheel. Some have been snoozing down in the foxhole. It's time to get up. It's time to stand up. You remember the call last week of Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel's call is very simple. Stand and speak. Thus says the Lord. That's our job. We don't have to get angry at people because remember what God told Ezekiel? Look. They're not going to listen. So don't be, don't be, hey, you're not listening to me. I mean, don't be offended by that. They're not going to listen. The world is not going to listen to the message. It's our job, however, to present that message. I know that sounds weird. Same thing that Jeremiah was told. They're not going to listen. Same thing Isaiah was told. They're not going to listen. You preach anyway. You live your life out anyway. So, you know, if we're going to win, then we have to understand that we're at war. 
There's nothing to win if we do not see ourselves in a battle, in a fight. And so, remember, however, it is not a physical fight. It's not a political fight. Instead, this is a spiritual fight. It's not against flesh and blood. It will not be won at the voting ballot. It's not where it's going to be won. It's not going to be won in a political party. It's not going to be won on a national scene. Instead, the first place it will be won at is in your own soul. The battle begins there. What are you doing about marriage? You know, the best remedy to, and the best argument for traditional marriage is actually to have a good traditional marriage. It really is that simple. Again, the enemy would like for us to feel like it's really complicated, that we need to spend lots of time thinking about these things, deciding about these things when they've already been decided. <clears throat> Excuse me, even Jesus, when he was asked about marriage, said, he went all the way back to Genesis 1, he said, male and female. This is his affirmation. Need he say more? This is the way the Creator Himself... The Scripture says everything was created through Him and by Him and for Him. Which means even the male-female differences were created by Him. And yet, we live in a culture that would love to erase those differences. God doesn't. He likes the differences between male and female. He likes those differences. You ever notice how any time the feminist movement arises its head, it only looks like male power? It's fascinating. It only turns into maleness, which seems the very opposite of being female. Um, It's the lie of the enemy. All the enemy can do is take what is good and spoil it. That's it. He has nothing original to work with. He cannot create... The only thing He can do is deconstruct. The only thing He can do is spoil, deteriorate. That's why God's institutions are under attack. It's nothing new. That's why I say to you, there's no reason to panic. The sky is not falling. It's been falling, you just haven't noticed. So it's time to wake up. It's time to understand that we are at war, and this war is a spiritual war. It is not against people. People are being used by the enemy, but those people are not your enemy. Let's be very clear on that at Harvest Point. The people are not your enemy. The people have been deceived. The world has been covered up in lies. Have you ever noticed that we actually live in the information age? That's what we actually call this age. <laughs> I find it comical and I actually joke with my students at Calhoun. I joke with them often. I say, you know, we call it the information. It's more like the disinformation age or misinformation age. I mean, which blogger are you going to listen to? Which story is true or not? As far as stories pass and go, they are as whimsical as the wind. So who, is, who are we to believe? And... Most people just simply throw their hands up and say, look, I'm inundated by so much information, I don't know what to do, therefore I don't care. And what I'm saying to you today is as a Christian, you must care. Amen. Why? Why? Why do I have to care about what someone does in private? Because what someone does in private affected you already. 
Remember our first parents, Adam and Eve? Just kind of doing their own little thing, making their own little private decisions. And yet here we stand today, fallen, broken, sinful, in need of God. What you do affects my children. What I do in private affects you. Read the Bible. Sin has effects. So yeah, we care what humanity does in private. Don't you care what the terrorist is doing right now as he's making bombs in private? Wouldn't we love to find him now and stop it there? Rather than on the street with innocent people being blown up? Absolutely. What happens in private, the Scripture says, will be revealed to all at the end. Therefore, we should care what happens in private because to God, nothing is private. And so, why should you care? Why should you be concerned? Why should you think about these things? Why should you articulate? Why should you love the people who think differently? It's because Jesus does. God does. And if we are followers of Jesus, which Christians are, by the way, then that means we do what He does. We imitate Him. He hung out with sinners. He witnessed to sinners, and yet He did not approve of their sinning. That's where people go wrong. Oh yeah, Jesus hung out with sinners, man. That means we should go hang out with sinners and get wasted. Uh, Let's back that up a little bit. Yes, He hung out with sinners, but He drew a line in the sand when it came to sinning. Jesus was sinless. And He calls us to that same kind of perfection. If you haven't heard, it's available through the Holy Spirit. Perfect love. Not a perfection like the philosophers talked about, but a pure heart. Pure as in 100% God. So, here's the second thing. If we're at war, here's the reality of this war, and it's, and it's, it's sort of comical again, in a way, if you understand the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey. <clears throat> There are vast armies against us. We're surrounded on every side. There are giant issues that do not seem... It doesn't seem any way around it. You know, it's literally... We're back in David's time. David shows up as a kid, teenager more than likely, and here's this nine-foot, nine-inch giant cursing Yahweh and taunting the Israelites. Anybody who can take me on, we will be your servants. Come on! Let's go! And no one will come out and fight. And here's this youngster that steps up and says, are you guys going to let him say that about God? And they say, you need to be quiet. One of his, If you go back and read the story, uh, one of his brothers, it's in 1 Samuel 17, if you want to go read it later today, one of his brothers said, it says that he actually got angry. Why are you coming here? Go back to your to go feeding people and feeding sheep sheeps and go back to dad's house. We don't want you here. I know what you're here to do. And he says, No, I don't think you do. And he goes against the giant. We are called to go against the giant. I, I wish we had time today to go to places like Second Kings, where you see Elisha and he's with his servant. They're alone. And there's an entire army around them. <laughs> and, and Elisha's sleeping. So he wake, his, his servant wakes up, grabs him a cup of coffee, comes out. Whoa, 
This is not good. Runs back into the tent and says, Elisha, Elisha, listen. Man of God, uh, uh, there's a whole army out here. They're ready to kill me and you and it's only us and we don't have any weapons. Elisha says, it's not a big deal. He says, what do you mean it's not a big deal? We're about to die, right? The sky is falling. This is the end. The end is near. Um, And he says, no, 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 no. Lord, open his eyes. Now go back out there and look. He goes back out of the tent and what does he see? He sees the armies of the Lord that are all in the mountains and there are more of them than there are of the people there to kill them. And ultimately, it's a funny story, you really need to go read it, but ultimately, no one even dies. They all get captured and then they feed them in Israel and then they're sent home and they never attack again. You see, nothing is too big for God. Amen. Why would we panic? Why would we get in a tizzy? Why would we get in a hot mess, as we say in the South, right? There is no reason. We are on the winning side. If we could only see, if our eyes were open, we would see that we have help that we haven't even asked for. And they are standing on guard, ready to help. You know what it reminds me of? And I I hate to do this to you. But it really reminds me of the speech that Aragorn gives in Lord of the Rings as, as they're surrounded by all the orcs and all the nastiness of, 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 that comes from Sauron and Saruman. And they're surrounded. And, and just bear with me, please forgive me, but bear with me as he says, Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day, an hour of wolves and shattered shields, when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight by all that you hold dear on this good earth. I bid you stand, men of the West. That makes me want to get up. I wish I had a sword, right? I mean, I'm ready for battle. And yet we do have a sword and we don't pick it up. Amen. Yet we do have a battle and we do not acknowledge it. We continue to sit and stick our head back in the sand and say somebody else will deal with this. They won't. It's our generation. It is our time to stand up. It is our time to speak out. This is our time. The the pages of history will look back on 2015 and say, what did the church do? Did they wither and die? The church has already withered and died in Europe. What will America do? Maybe we will. But you know what? I, for one, am not going to be counted among those who cower. I never have been much for losing. I don't plan on losing now. And it's not a thing of pride. It's a thing of knowing which side I'm on. I am on the winning side. It's not up to me. You see, the the beautiful thing, and this is the last point, is is not only are we at war, and not only do we have great giants to face and vast armies, but the good news in this is this is not our battle. It's the Lord's battle. It's not up to us to try to win it. It's not all on me. It's not all on you. We do our part. We hold our line right here in Madison, right here at your work, right there in your family. It's the small things that become the largest things. 
As soon as the guy doesn't fill up the convoy uh, trucks to go take food and ammunition, that's the day they lose the battle. It's the small things that matter. It's the little things like loving your wife, like raising your children, like going to work. These are basic things and yet they're things that will change the world because they are obedience to Christ. You don't have to be some mouthpiece or talking head on a news channel. That's not what you're called to do. You're called to hold the line where you are. Will you do it? This is your time. This is our time. We could wish for another. It's not going to happen. This is, the, this is what is at stake for us. Um, and the good news is the battle is the Lord's. If you go back and read, and this is another something you should read today, 2 Chronicles 20, you're going to find a guy named Jehoshaphat, which is a pretty awesome name. Maybe that's our next baby's name. Um, I'm sure Jessica will disagree with that. I've tried for Methodius and for Athanasius, but she didn't, she didn't like it. Uh, this guy's name is Jehoshaphat. He was against three different armies that had come together. And they were about to destroy Judah. Now, the northern kingdom was already gone. So he praised the Lord. And the Lord literally, t- like one, of the, one among you comes out and starts speaking in the Spirit. And he says, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And you know what happens? They actually kill themselves. Yeah, I know that sounds insane, right? But they actually, the three armies, they actually start fighting among themselves and they wipe each other out. It was the Lord. It wasn't their power. Don't you remember Joshua? I mean, read the book of Joshua. It's not their power. It's not by might. It's not how sharp their swords were or how accurate their bullets were. It was the Lord. He even told him to do something crazy. It's so funny when you read the first part of Joshua. All the men are preparing for battle, right? And I mean, I can just, you know, I'm all about some Navy SEALs and preparation, that sort of thing, and making sure everybody knows how to shoot and everybody knows how to, how to go in on a, on a door and all this kind of stuff. Here, here's what God tells them to do. Go circumcise yourself. Now, is that the best thing to do before a battle? That's ludicrous. I mean, just think about that for I mean, we just kind of we're reading. We're like half asleep when we're reading stuff like that. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? What was more important? Purity before God or how well they could swing a sword? Purity. God even said, cut down the army. I don't need that many people. This is my fight. This is my battle. Notice, the people of the world... The principalities and powers of darkness are not even ultimately against us. Psalm 2, they're against the Lord and Jesus. They're against the Father and they are against Jesus. It's not our fight and yet we are invited to stand with the One who's going to win. Will you stand with the Lord? I'm not calling you to be crazy. I'm calling you to do the most sane thing in the world, which is side with the Creator. He knows alone how His creation should operate. It's not up to us. It doesn't matter what you feel. Ultimately, it doesn't even matter what you think. All that matters is that He is God and I am not. It's that simple. If you can believe that, then you're already on your way to the winning side. Drop the enemy's weapons. 
Don't be distracted by all the information coming at you. Boil things down. Understand the truth of reality. And that is, Jesus is the King over kings. He is the judge over judges. He is the legislator over legislators. We're each called in different ways. Answer Jesus' call this morning. What must be answered first? The battle must be won first in our own hearts. If it's not won there, the larger battle doesn't matter for you. doesn't matter what happens for you in the end if you don't win that battle right here raging in your own heart. He must be king of your own life first before you can proclaim Him to the nations. Is He king? Because He can be today. Well, now you know. I hate to be that guy that tells you the thing that makes you responsible, right? But now you know, and as G.I. Joe used to say, now you know, and knowing's half the battle. G.I. Joe, right? Now it's half the battle. Notice. Knowing is just half the battle. The other part is doing it. Now we can take two sides here this morning. We can say that the sky is falling, that we can't wait for the second coming, that the world is going to hell. Is that new news? No. No, it's not. Or we can do like Martin Luther did in his day when the barbarians were at the gates, the government was corrupt, immorality was rampant, and the church was asleep at the will. This was back in the 16th century, early 16th century. Here's what he penned that I would like to show you this morning. And I've never done this before, so again, forgive me. But I'm going to, do, I'm going to try to do like Aragorn does in Lord of the Rings, and that is seeing in the midst of battle. You ever notice, how that, that's always been surprising to me, that he, if you read the books in particular, it's long songs that he sang that actually encouraged the hobbits. Here's what Martin Luther penned in his own day, in his own generation, as he was in the midst of turmoil. He said, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, He amid the floods of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not His equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Doth ask what, who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. From age to age the same. And He must win the battle. And though the 
world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph o'er us. The Prince of Darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fail Him. Let's all stand. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him with us side us. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen.